welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. As we wind down the month of July already, August is coming upon us. It will be football season very soon. My name is Jeff Sharon, alongside Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. We are the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Gentlemen, uh, the rains are falling, which means it's practice time. Remember the days when, like, UCF football would not have an indoor practice facility and and, they were, and and the reports on the website were like, UCF canceled practice again today. And they would head into their, they'd have to do this in the education gym. Do you guys remember these days at all? I do. You remember that, uh, Eric? I know. How did college football teams survive all these years without an indoor facility? I don't know, oh, man. I don't know. I, well, well <laughs> I don't know. They, in the state of Florida, it rains every where, day in the summer. Exactly, in during practice time. Fall. Exactly. So, well, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore since we, since we have an indoor practice facility. And USF is catching up on that, unreportedly. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you? Sure. It's taking taking right. them, taking them long enough. That. All right. So... Uh, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. Uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. All right, here's the agenda. We've got some listener questions we're going to get to, and we're going to lead off with that. I know I've been promising that for a while, and then like news happened all throughout the month of July. I know, unbelievable, right? And so we're going to finally get to these questions. Um we're also going to uh, – we, we've got an interview with Bridget Callahan, UCF women's soccer alum. Women's soccer is going to be starting up in the next, what, Eric, week, two weeks now? They're going to – I think they have an early August uh, preseason yes. game. Is that right? UCF season going to be going, and Bridget Callahan in her second season with the Orlando Pride uh, in the uh, NWSL. We'll talk about her uh, journey to the Pride as well as her time during UCF where she played – from 2014 to 2017, including two NCAA tournament appearances, two conference titles. So, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that and her thoughts on the World Cup that just passed. She played with two of those four lums that yeah. played in the uh, World Cup for UCF. So a lot of fun catching up with Bridget Callahan. And we'll also uh, we'll dive into uh, Eric's uh, tw- top 25 games of 2018-2019. Eric, last time we checked, you were running into some writer's block on that. Is that right? Yeah, there's a lot of good games. It's hard to rank them and try to think which one's better and what the criteria. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was a fun year, boys. I mean, this was a great year, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see now as we get closer to starting the fall here of 2019 and the into 2019-2020, how they're going to top the past year. Yeah. All right, so we've got that and plenty more to get to. All right, so let's, um, let's dive in first um, with these reader questions. And and some of these are we, we may have touched upon in previous episodes but maybe things have changed from then on but uh but we got some good ones here so let's go ahead and dive in uh our first question comes from our facebook page facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and it comes from uh jeff coons jeff asks will the american fill the yukon spot and if so who should it be if football only will they also pick up an olympic sport school as well, so we more or less have an answer on this from um, Mike Oresco himself, Brian. Right? You were at uh, you were at AAC football uh, media days, and Oresco pretty much put the kibosh on a replacement for a football team, right? Basically, put the kibosh on on, on the odds of, of the AAC or UCF or excuse me AAC going out to look for anybody to replace UConn. They're not going to. They, I mean, his words: they're not going to reach out to anybody. They're comfortable at 11, but if someone wants to come to them and speak about maybe joining the conference, then they will listen. But certainly it seems like more than likely that, yes, they're fine with 11 right now. 
So it's so so basically, it's like you know, do, you know, we won't call you; you call us, basically, right? Correct. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Um, all right. So, but that's on the football side. Nobody bothered asking him about um, um, the uh, the the Olympic sports side. Um, right. So. I, I haven't heard anything on that. I mean, everyone's going to speculate from here and from here to eternity on it. But um, Eric, what do you think? Do you th- do you think that there's that they that they might be looking for somebody to even it out on the Olympic sports side or no? No, no, I don't even think. I think the only thing they might look at is this waiver they're going to eventually have to do to get to make sure they could get rid of the divisions and still hold the conference championship game in football, which they should be able to. If for some reason there's some resistance, then they might consider a 12 team. But I, I really do. I think they're going to stay the way they are, and I don't. I don't see them really that that interested in the Olympic sports because it really doesn't hurt them that much. I mean, really, I think the big question is going to be as we get to the basketball portion of this media days and the season in a couple of few months is the scheduling. Will they change the schedule to where with an 11 team league? Do you consider doing it, uh, you know, moving it up to where you play everybody twice and have a 20-game conference schedule? I think that's going to be the more of the hotter topic as far as the Olympic sports are concerned, in particular with basketball, than adding a team. See, I think that's going to be really difficult, though, with a, a sport like, for example, volleyball, because they just announced that they were going to switch to this divisional format and shrink the conference season yeah. by one. Now you're going to have to extend the conference season again in order to fit in those extra, I think probably two extra weekends worth of conference play. Plus you're going to have a uh, a uh, conference uh, tournament. I mean, that's that's a tough ask, yeah. man, don't you think? Yeah, and their response to be is tough. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but coaches aren't going to, the coaches aren't going to be too pleased about that. I know that. And they're the ones yeah, that, that have the power on that. Them and the ADs. No, the ADs have the power on that. They're going to tell you we don't care. Yeah, but, I, I yeah, mean, but they're looking at the but they're look but the ADs also are looking what, at the budget too. Yeah, Let's not forget. Yeah, what are the volleyball coaches going to do? Walk out? I mean, there's nothing they can do about it. There's no leverage here. Like, I mean, Brian can speak to this. I mean, I love the all the sports, and I'm the defendant of softball, but they're not going to make this decision to please volleyball. They're not going to bring somebody in to help volleyball or softball or soccer. They're going to do this no, but for either football or basketball. It just is. They're not going to – they don't care. Like, no, I, I, I get that. I I, no, I get that. But it's – the basketball side is, I think, the part that's interesting. I mean, are we still – if they invite somebody for basketball, are we still in sort of the VCU camp or is there anything else that you guys have seen? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, are we – well, I, I, this is, I'm, very, I'm glad you brought that up because we can forward Jeff – uh, if he wants more on this discussion, we had a, basically a whole podcast about this, like who should join, who should replace UConn. <laughs> Back about a month ago, podcast number one sixty. Yes, podcast number one sixty seven, where we just threw out a bunch of teams with baseless speculation because it's sports media. <laughs> because it's fun uh, and it's also July. I mean, what do you want from yeah, us? <laughs> because oh, we because hashtag, hashtag hashtag content. Right, hashtag. Yes, we have archives. We archive all our episodes. You can go back to them and yeah. check them out. Thank you, promo. Good plug. Brian. And uh, here's the point. Don't forget to Here's subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play and all. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Leave a review, please. Leave yes. a review. Um, there's not going to be. I don't think there's going to be any realignment or expansion in any leagues anytime soon. So I hate to break the bubble there, but I think this is what we're going to have for the most part. 
across the board in the major conferences. Uh, I really don't believe we're going to see any major changes anytime soon because I think we've seen here, I think the issue is, and and we brought it up in that episode 167, is there's nobody you can bring in right now that's going to add any value financially, which is really what matters here to these ADs is what can bring up more value. And if there's nobody that can, you know, VCU, as much as I like them, they're not going to add a cent to your TV deal. And, and if you're a school, is like, why do I want to share what I'm, I'm making right now with a, another school coming in? Yeah. Especially no especially on the basketball side. I mean, like it or not, I mean, UConn, UConn was, you know, even right. though they've struggled last year, they're still, they were still one of the premier brands in the conference in basketball. And they, you know, you eject UConn for VCU, does your does your value go up? I would say no. Does it stay the same? I doubt it. I think at the end of the day, they're just going to go with the teams they have. I mean, we've seen this with the Big 12. Yeah. The Big 12 stayed at 10 because they're making so much money. I mean, that's the funny thing. Everybody keeps talking about the Big 12 expanding. Why? They're well. making so much money. The only way they're ever going to expand is if Oklahoma or Texas leaves. And we actually, I don't know if you saw this week, but the Iowa State Athletic Director, Pollard, who I think is very underrated, admitted saying that, hey, if Oklahoma and Texas leaves, we're basically screwed <laughs> because <laughs> if they leave, our val- the, the entire league's value goes if from they- making what we're making now to making basically 2 to $3 million a year. Yeah, which- if, they, if they leave, we, <laughs> we're the Sunbelt West. <laughs> right, and, and – which is why I don't understand, and, and, and you wrote about this, Jeff. God, I, I want to say it was a year ago, maybe. Why are UCF people and other people so excited about, hey, let's go to the Big 12, even if Oklahoma and Texas leaves? Well, there's, like, only, the there's, only, there's only one reason. It's because it's the only conference with an automa- that has an automatic bid. That, that's an autonomy conference that has any room for anyone. That's why. And, oh, by the way, it happens to be full of Southern teams, but no teams in the state of Florida. I'm not saying that's the correct rationale. I'm saying that's why. Right, but I I, I think people have this mythical idea that they're going to make more money, and I don't think that's the case. And this idea that they're just automatically going to be an automatic bid, and not necessarily. That's what happened to the Big East. It disappeared. We don't even know. I don't think there's going to be moves until we know what the playoff system will look look like in 2025, which I think will expand to eight. And what if everybody has a, you know, then we'll probably have a better idea. Yeah. All right. I, I, I don't buy it. All right. So, all right. So we've answered that question. Um, Roxanne Petzold, our, our friend Roxanne asked, oh, she's got a, she's got a softball question for you, Elo. Of course. What's, <laughs> um, so we'll just let you riff on this for a while. What's Brian the, has, you know, Brian has Sam Unger that asked him baseball questions. Roxanne. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to search through, through, uh, uh, the the baseball stuff to see if you can answer a Sam question, but um, <laughs> Roxanne, Roxanne asks, uh, what's the story on the five new transfers to UCF softball, Eric Lopez? All right, wow, all right, wow, we got a lot putting uh, you on okay, the spot so, here. Well, yeah, well, a couple of them are pretty obvious. You got Boise State transfers. Make you can make the connections there. Obviously, Coach uh, Ball, you know, coached them and recruited them to go to Boise State. Uh, so that makes sense. I like the pitcher, Manka. She was a uh, – I think it's her pronounced. She's the – was the number two in Boise, very young pitcher, had a really good year under Coach Paul Malone in her last year there at Boise State. And I think she will add, I think, potentially the most depth that the pitching staff's ever had in this program. You could have a legitimate three pitchers staff on the weekends 
uh, depending on how things shake out. And I'm not just saying that they're going to be as good as Otis and Turnier were, but there is a one-two punch. They could have three pitchers options here. So uh, I think that's the big impact. And then the other ones are, as you mentioned, are bats. They're trying to get some extra bats. It's no secret. They struggled down the stretch offensively. Uh, they were near the bottom in the league in scoring runs and hitting, and I think they're trying to find some players here. They get some bats that will add some depth in certain positions and try to improve this offense and, and they get them over the hump next year. Uh, so I think that's the, the story behind these transfers, which, by the way, is now a part of the sports landscape. With the transfer portal in college athletics, you're going to see more and more movements and departures in all your sports, especially – Olympic sports where it's a lot easier to get out. You don't have to sit out a year. So I think this has become more the norm. You know, I know some people have asked me about it, like, wow, that's really different than what Renee – not really. It's just a little different. Renee used to grab transfers, but she would go into the JUCO level and grab a lot of players from the JUCO level to fill in spots, whereas I think Sydney is going to be more aggressive, obviously, in grabbing players on the uh, – on the transfer portal that they're available. And let's be honest, players are going to be uh, interested in coming here. Hmm. Um, you know, one of the players that's coming here is playing is potentially could be playing for the Australian national team and has international experience. It's very talented. So I think it's just to upgrade the offense. And I, I think though, the pitcher Maka is the really exciting one to see how she mes- meshes there with Vasquez that will be entering her second year. And then of course, Aliyah white who's in her senior year. Yeah. And I think part of this also is, who, you know, you got to build a staff for after Aaliyah White, which she graduates in 2020. All right, uh, Murph, here's that baseball question for you. It's not really a question, but um, Coach uh, UCF Baseball and Coach Levelate announced that uh, Ted Tom, the volunteer assistant, is uh, is moving on. Um, he, was their, he was their volunteer assistant. Now, we talked yep. before about the NCAA inexplicably voting down the turning that third assistant coach position for baseball and softball into a paid position. So Ted Tom, who, by the way, prior to UCF was an interim head coach at Cincinnati for two games, um, is now having to move on. Um, now Sam commented, our buddy Sam Unger commented to coach Lovelady in his, in, in coach's tweet, thanking Ted for his, uh, for his services to UCF. He said, I blame the stupid NCAA for not allowing a third paid assistant. So our question to you, for, not really from the fans, kind of from me, but yeah, sort of from the fans, is, is Sam right? He's 100% right. Uh, yeah, uh, this is why Ted Tom, uh, you know, his hand was forced. I, I don't know, you know, you know if, if everything was equal, if he could have gotten, you know, paid here at UCF, then I, maybe he would have stayed. But the fact is, he took a non-paying job and saw that there was a paying job available in Western Kentucky, and that's why he went to Western Kentucky. That's yeah. exactly why he left. Um, it's too bad because Ted Tom was a good coach, and a, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of hitters, uh, owed, owed a lot of uh, well talked often about you know the work he did with them. It's just it's unfortunate, and it's it's again it's, it, it it goes back to the NCAA just sort of being selfish and not wanting to pay. Well, not wanting to pay baseball or softball because we had to bundle together uh, the third assistant coach at these universities, not wanting to pay the third assistant coach. Uh, well, this is what happens. You lose good coaches. Um, and so, yeah, that's why Ted Tom left. And people are freaking out with baseball because of the guys who are transferring out of the program right now. Again, you know, this is this is just the way it is today. Uh, you know, kids, kids have more agency 
and more, you know, more uh, ability to, to, to kind of dictate where they want to go. So, but this is not that. This is not Ted Tom trying to escape his skip for a better situation. It's better. It's a better situation, but it's not like he hated UCF. It's that he had to go to provide food for his family at this point. Yeah. He's not getting paid wow. Now. Yeah. I mean, kind of, kind of seems unbelievable in a way that, you know, that's where we are in this part of college athletics where we have, you know, the ha- it very much have the haves and the have nots. And it's that stark of, uh, of a difference. Well, a, you, you called it right, Jeff. It's a disgrace that the administrators kind of weasel themselves out of this. They can't open it, I guess, till 2021 again. But to not allow a you know, third full-time paying position for baseball, because this affected softball too, because softball's in the table as well, is absolutely outrageous. And it's hilarious to me when you have these administrators that are making, you know, six figures. You know, how about we just put a, a, a volunteer position for all majority of the administrative positions, see how they like it. <laughs> yeah, right. Eric. Exactly. Eric coming in hot. <laughs> I knew he was. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's right. It's he's stupid. right. I mean, this yeah. should should never happen. Ted and Tom it, should still be a coach here. Yeah. But he, yeah. you know, he has no. He has no. He has no choice. He has no choice. That sucks. Um, uh, let's go to some, a couple questions. On these are our last two questions that come via Twitter. Uh, this one comes from Steve Lynch, whose handle is UCF Defrost. UCF Defrost. I think that's an, it's, it's a plus handle, Steve. By the way, um, is, is he still bitter? Still bitter? I, yeah, sounds, I don't know. It's, sounds like a bitter. Sounds handle. like he might be. Um, what? Which non-drafted UCF football player will have the biggest impact in the NFL next year? Brian, this sounds like a you question. Which non-drafted UCF non- football player? Non-drafted wow. UCF football player. Well, only one was drafted uh, last year, so yeah, right. So I mean, there's a bunch of other guys who got you know, you know, got signed. Uh, I forgot the final count for who got signed uh, for UDFA contracts. Can I just go back to my boy Richard Causey? Um, he's sort of my boy at this point. I mean, I I, <laughs> I talked him up uh, through. I, I talked about the best DB or the best cover corner. Uh, the best cover man in that secondary, you know, after the Cincinnati game, really through the last five or six games of the season, I thought he was great. So he gets picked up by the Falcons, um, and so and maybe maybe he's got a, a good shot there, just because I think his ability to play both outside and inside, you know, he played mostly Nickelback uh, last year, uh, you know, give him some versatility, and he was great as a cover guy. So uh, maybe that, but again, uh, have not delved into. The, the different situations that uh, that that all the guys went to, you know, like uh, I think it was Wyatt Miller signed with the Jets, uh, Matthew Wright signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but you know I got to make sure these guys are actually still in camp. I don't have been cut. I think I I know that um, uh, Mac Loudermilk had his tryout with the Bucks and he was they elected not to keep him on board. And, Ta- no, and the I, Jaguars. Jaguars did not keep Dredrick Snelson. Right. They also, yeah, they let they let Dredrick go. So, and, and I I was surprised at that. I thought that he might have had the best chance to um, latch on somewhere. But uh, I think they still have Col- uh, Michael Colubiali still on their roster. I, and the other one I wasn't sure about was was Taj McGowan. I, I didn't see if he if he was sticking around in Jacksonville or not. Have you seen anything on that? Well, Taj got so Taj got an invite to rookie camp. And then I guess it's seated well enough to get himself an invite to full training camp, uh-huh. which you know, so he made it to the to, to the next level, which is now 
he's with the team for training camp. Doesn't mean he has a roster spot in the slightest. I mean, certainly he can be uh, released when they cut down from, was it, 90 to 50, whatever it is. What's the cut? I don't know. I think, it's, cut down I think it's 90 to 75 mm-hmm. is the first cut. Right, right. And then the 75 to 55, I forget what the cut numbers are. But 53. Anyway, yeah. But anyway, he, he has worked his way from being a solely a rookie camp invite to now he's with the club for training camp, actual training camp. Okay, good. Uh, Eric, do you have a nominee? I'm going to throw one out of left field. Again, it's like Brian preference it, you know, assuming, you know, they make past camp and everything. But I'm going to go and throw a bone for Matthew Wright. And the reason ah, I you say took that my is, pick. He's a kicker, first of all. He's a kicker. So uh, if you can find a kicker that makes no, basically undrafted and make no money, you're going to take that opportunity. And he's in Pittsburgh. They didn't have a great kicking situation last year. I think Boswell was terrible, inconsistent. So that's probably an, a legit open competition over there in Pittsburgh to see, hey, can we upgrade at the kicking position? And they'll always go with a cheaper option over a veteran in a situation like that. So if he can prove himself to be solid, and I personally, you can make the argument that Matthew Wright is the best, greatest kicker of all time at UCF. Yeah. Uh, very mm-hmm. accurate. I mean, he never, I mean, I think he was way better than Matt Prater was during his time. Matt Prater missed a lot of big kicks. Um, a lot of short so kicks, I, too. <laughs> bingo. Bada boom. Bada bean. Extra points. A lot, a, lot of li- a lot of little kicks, you know, and, and against and Ohio, you know. <laughs> and he's a pro bowler. Um, yeah. And an NFL bigger. record holder. So, he's, he's, he's an immortal. So, which, and I don't you know, we'll get into this in the next few episodes here as we get closer to kickoff, but. You know, I am concerned. Nobody, I am concerned about the UCF kicking game because I think Matthew Wright was kind of taken for granted. We just took him for granted. Ah, oh, well, you know, just kick it up there and, you know, occasional field goals. But the guy never missed, it seemed like. And so I'm going to give him yeah. the nod and say, I think he has a shot because kickers always have an opportunity there during preseason. For his well, career, Matthew. For, oh, go ahead, Matt, Brian. I'm sorry. Sorry, I was going to mention, like, on that point, Matthew Wright, his field goal at Memphis was probably the most unsung play of the game before the half. Yeah. Yeah. You know, t- taking that game from a 30 to 14 game uh, to 30 to 17 was, was, was again, it was a huge kick that no one really paid attention to because Memphis was running UCF out of the building. But uh, it, it was a, a kind of a momentum, a momentum swing. So, yeah, he made a bunch of big kicks. But I will say, Chris Boswell is tied through 2022. Uh, I just don't think I, I see the Steelers cutting a kicker with that much left on his contract to sign another kicker. Well, how much is guaranteed, though, Brian? Because you know this. I mean, if, if if they can get rid of him with you know money wise and not affect him too much, then don't get because he was not good. He wasn't good. Right. No, I know, I know. I know. I know. He wasn't great last year. Um, I'm trying to look at like cap hits, dead cap. Well, stuff. well, here's, say, like, well here, here's the thing that uh, <clears throat> on Boswell, I actually just pulled this up from Pro. <laughs> The, uh, the the bastion of journalism called profootballrumors.com. dot um, They they reported on June 29th that um, they're actually they're actually citing Mark Cavalli. Uh, forgive me, Mark uh, of the Athletic um, says that uh, Boswell. Uh, they the front office at Pittsburgh reworked Boswell's contract in May. Where they're putting off his, he was due a two million dollar roster bonus, but they put, the, but they renegotiated his contract to put that off until after the final preseason game. So he gets two million dollars for making the final roster now. So mm-hmm. that changes the equation a little bit, don't you think? 
Yeah, and I, I will say so. Like his base, so he has a base salary left of about eight million dollars, nine million dollars. So but that's I mean, not that, guaranteed. Be, I would imagine that's right? non guaranteed. Though, and then he has roster bonuses, he has signing bonuses that he has about about five million dollars in signing bonuses left uh, that will be doled out one point two million over each of the next four seasons. Uh, those are guaranteed. Yeah. So okay. All right. This well, is phenomenal, by the way. We're the only podcast in break- the world that just broke down Chris Boswell's contract. Yeah, and his yeah. full <laughs> breakdown. Matty Wright, you know the drill. By the way, Matty was uh, 12 of 14 last year out. in field goals. Go ahead. I'll throw this out. Even if he doesn't make the Pittsburgh team, as you know, kickers, if he impresses enough, he could end up somewhere else because there's always going to be kickers that get let go during the season because they struggle, i.e. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, i.e. the L.A. Chargers. They always stink up with the kickers. <laughs> and he, he might find opportunities elsewhere. So, you know. Who's the, who's the who's the Bucks kicker right now? Oh, shoot. Come on, I don't, I don't think Roberto – see, I used to know I used to know all this. I think it's um, – it says here that – not a guayo. No, they let him go. I think it's Matt Gay at the moment, but um, – Again, Correct. you know he's now he's a now he they mentioned him as kind of like a, uh, um, uh, he, a, oh he was the oh he was the Lou Groza he was the Lou Groza winner in seventeen so um, he played at Utah Valley uh, soccer at Utah Valley before he uh, he moved up so okay uh, he went to Utah actually so all right uh, am I the only one that's wondering too about the UCF kicking game like who's going to be I know they're gonna I'm sure they're gonna you know, we're gonna hear about how they're talented and all that but. Whoever the next kicker will be will be an experience. Well, Very yeah, that's so. true. Open competition, but I will say this: I don't think, I, I don't think uh, Josh Heupel's mo at this point is going to be. Man, I'm really worried about all the field goals we're going to be kicking this year. Because <laughs> no, but, but no, you're right. The last the last four years, Matt Wright's four years at UCF, he attempted twenty or more field goals only once, and last year he attempted fourteen. So but in four in, Brian, in fourteen games, Brian, but to Brian's point, I mean, one of the bigger kicks he made was in Memphis that really cha- helped change momentum of the game. I mean, a missed field goal can kill momentum. Not to mention extra right. points. I mean, I'm just saying, let's not take them for granted. Um, because if you're in a close game, you know, a missed kick here can make the difference between going undefeated and having a loss. I mean, yeah. so I, I I think it's you know we're gonna focus a bunch on the quarterback position and i understand it it's the most high profile position but i have i think the kicking game is gonna is an interesting question one of the questions i have going into the season there yeah. you go. that's a good right. i guess i don't know i don't know the competition much but you know the three guys who are there they're two freshmen and then the redshirt senior dylan barnes mm-hmm. who you know has been on the team has been on the team the last two years he's played one game since two since joining in 2017 but because he's the redshirt senior uh, I would assume he has, you know, the advantage. But, yeah, who knows? We we just don't know right now. Well, Donald Delahaye, you know, that could have been you. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, you you knew I had to go there. I'm sorry. Um, nothing against Donald. Mm-hmm. He's he's getting a shot at the CFL, so good luck to Donald. I hope, yeah, he, yeah. I hope he latches on. But It's Dylan Barnes and Daniel Obarski from Chandler, from Chandler, Arizona, by the way, are the two. Are we, are we ruling out Connor Piazza, which just has a fantastic name? Piazza just takes back to all my old as a, as a kid watching the Dodgers. In the, I'm, I'm not going to rule out the redshirt freshman from Eus- from Eustace High School, Connor Piazza, because I can't rule out that Thank name. You. By the way, so um, 
uh, let's see. There was another Twitter. Okay, right, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up this with this one. This is from DeChase Cashin, whose Twitter handle is chc vols. You need a better Twitter handle, DeChase. Um, <laughs> yo, can we get a Mount Rushmore of UCF athletics? Um, ask him one sport or more or overall, and he says, I think overall would be trickier. And you know what, DeChase? We're gonna go for the trickier one here, just for you. All right, so. Um, an overall UCF Athletics Mount Rushmore. All right, or to, yeah. all sports we're lumping into one. Okay, so I would say coaches, ads, players, you name it. Um, who wants this one first? I'm only th- I'm only thinking about players though. I'm not really thinking about like ads and coaches. You want to do okay? You want to do players only then? Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. Let's do players. let's do players only. All right, Murph, you're up. Go. Go. Culpepper. Okay. Uh, Michelle Akers. Good. Uh, uh, and then I'm then I'm then I'm kind of stumped. Here. <laughs> then, 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 then I don't know. I got those two. I agree with those. It's a relay two, race. So. A relay I, yeah, race. I think you got to have those two up there. I think you got to have those yeah, two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. I, I Culpepper put UCF football on the map. Uh, you know, I, in the division when they first started Division One, Michelle Baker speaks for itself. Um, all right, let me ask you both this: Do you put Bo Clark in for his accomplishments yeah. at D two? Do you put a Jermaine Taylor because he's considered the best D one player? I think one of them got to be there, right? Um, yeah, I feel that. I'm yeah. trying to think of Bo Clark's name, but I can't think of Bo why? Uh, why Bo Clark? And okay, because I think we should. I think we should have a coach in an AD. Oh, why? Okay. Why? Um. Well, it, it, he didn't mention specifically players only. So, if we're, so let's let's do the. I'm going to do the more challenging one. But I would okay. put I would put Bo just barely over Jermaine to answer your question. Nothing against Jermaine. I would just put Bo. And then who else would you have as your? I mean, Jermaine is the highest draft pick in the NBA. Did yeah. play the NBA. I, I so I would go Jermaine personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but but I think it's it's that that's the discussion that you could have. Okay, uh, you need one more. Unless you know, if you want to put a coach, I mean, Torchy Clark could certainly be in that conversation based on mm-hmm. what you know putting putting basketball at UCF. Yeah, uh, so that's a, that's certainly an argument. It just depends on how you define Mount Rushmore and what your criteria is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, like whenever, because obviously every team everywhere in college and pro does this. You know, it's a fun little like you know, uh, you know, little think piece you can write about like who are the four best, whatever. But no one ever says who are the four. Who like no one includes coaches. I've never they never included coaches on their Mount Rushmore. You Very about, seldom. Yeah, you think about players. Mm. Ah, why Unless, not? <laughs> yeah, it's only players. No one cares. Like, oh, the what AD- coaches? Well, first of all, what coach in AD would even quali- would be quantified to put there? I, I just don't think they. they well, that's that's no where I think room. that's where I think it's interesting. Um, Danny White. I would put Danny White. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> he's not even finished yet. Like, can we? Wait he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't say. How do you I, know that? How do you know that? Like, we don't know how this ends. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm he's saying gotta- he's the leader in the clubhouse right now. Because of how he has changed UCF um, athletics fundamentally from where it was before he was there to where it is now. And then for a coach, dadgummit, you know. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't do it, Jeffrey. I swear to God, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. 
Hey, thank you. See, that's... <laughs> um, I, got, I got the clint there for a minute. I, was getting, I, was I would spritz. put... I would put Torchy Clark. Yeah. I'd put fine. Clark in there. So I would say I Don, mean, so Dante Culpepper, Michelle Akers, Torchy Clark, and Danny White. Can for the for, yeah that's fine, but for like for the fans who like I think they would more enjoy four players. Can we really think of two other players who would deserve to okay. be on this? I I would yeah all right all right let's do that let's do that all right. So I I think Culpepper and Akers need to be on there. Mm-hmm. I would put Shaquem Griffin. Oh, that's a, yeah. Okay, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I, and I just love like the whole narrative of Shaquem is is similar to a narrative of UCF. You know, you keep doubting a guy, and then all of a sudden, here they are. Yeah. And then, um, plus he was like really good. It wasn't like yeah. It was plus he was also story, like, freaking great. awesome. Um, yeah. And then. Golly, I don't want to pick another football player. I really don't. Drew, Bute- Drew Butera. Drew Butera. Um, uh, <laughs> I I love Drew. I no. love Drew to death. I don't think he's it. Um, although Chris he although he would be although he would be right up there. I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to th- you know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to think of a male athlete in a non revenue sport. So right. So I'm trying to think of yeah I'm trying to think of a baseball player a soccer player soccer player a golfer is, I, I think really you have tennis. to go with a female in that regard if you're gonna go see that that's route, now that's but. okay that, that's the other thing okay if you were going to go with a women's athlete a female athlete in that fourth position who would you go with Eric I think it's Stephanie Best hmm. yeah the softball program it's her or Coach Gillespie right but I but we're not gonna do coaches to Murph's rule Murphy's law uh, <laughs> yeah, so. We're going to go Stephanie Best, the first ever inductee of the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame Gosh, uh, yeah. in softball. And when the softball program started, I remember this. It's funny for me to say this, considering now I'm making a living covering softball. But I'm like, softball really going to work here at UCF? What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> and then there's this blonde, hot, attractive young lady who is a superstar player that's getting the ball miles away uh, that helped put interest into the program and helped them make the tournament in 05. You got to cover that closely uh to me she's kind of like michelle Akers. i've always thought her and michelle Akers are two of the most important athletes female athletes in the history of ucf athletics because they yeah. put their respective sports on the map i think yeah i think okay now i'm gonna i'm gonna go way out of left field and but for some I, I found one i'm gonna go way out of left field and some old-time ucf fans are gonna be like oh yeah i forgot about him um pga golfer robert dameron all right. Played three Sil- years at UCF. Silence yeah. of the Dow. I'm gonna. Okay, here's why. Uh, educate. Uh, he's he's a local kid from Doctor from Doctor Phillips. Uh, went to Doctor Phillips High School. Went to UCF from '91 to '94. Was an All-American three times. Won five college events at UCF. Immediately turned pro. Um, a UCF Hall of Famer. Inducted in 2002. Um and uh, and uh, won uh, two career professional uh, uh, tournaments, the 2001 um, Byron uh, Nelson Classic, um, and uh, and and he's a, he made a great uh, career on the web.com tour. He won the Athens Regional Foundation Classic also. Um, so uh, now he know he didn't win a major, but 
let me tell you how hard it is to win any tournament in the PGA. And Robert Dameron did it, yeah. and uh, and a, gr- a truly great um, athlete. But I'll tell you, man, that's whew, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one, man. That is a really that is really tough. I think I agree with you. I would go with I, I, I would, otherwise I would go with uh, um, Stephanie Best, Eric. I think I would. I think yeah, I would. I'll, I think I'll, 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 go, I'll throw another name on this uh, on the consideration, and I'm gonna come a little bit a little quirky, but here it's Sean Becton, and I'll tell you why it's Sean Becton. No, he'd be a good choice. Yeah, go ahead. He was an impact, in, great football player, great receiver, still among the greatest receivers in the history of this program. Uh, did it in the one double A era, um, and then has look at the job he did here as a position coach, as a wide receiver coach, and as a defensive back coach, and all the players that have come out of UCF. And then play the NFL that coached under Beckton. Yeah, that were wide uh, receivers and defensive backs. <laughs> I mean, he's the only guy you think about that has made an impact in this football program at different and different eras. At the one double yeah. A era, all the way to conference in the Division One era, and you know, up until I think recently. I think he started in Divi- when we were Division Two, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I mean, you could look I that up, but I him. think he would be another guy that I would consider under consideration because he's what he's accomplished and contributed to UCF as an athlete, as a player, and as a coach. Yeah. So, all right. No argument there. All right. Let's. Uh, and and by the way, Sean Becton did start at UCF his, fr- his freshman year. UCF was Division Two. So. So he's done Division Two, one double A, and Division One. Yep. So he's he's impacted the program. How many people could say that? Right. Right. You're exactly right. So all right. So that'll do it for our first uh, Ask Black and Gold Banneret. I want to thank everybody who submitted questions. We answered. Believe it or not, people, those are all the questions we were asked. So. You people need to step up your game next time and send us your questions, and maybe next show no, there were other, we'll answer there were, some there more. Were other questions. There were other questions, but it had involved with like, "Hey Brian, what do you think the Yankees going to do at the deadline?" Which, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, yeah. Who do who do I draft as my backup quarterback for my NFL fantasy? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Jeff, do you have any eligibility left? No, I don't. Garrett Weiss, strength of spear. No, thanks. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little women's soccer. Bridget Callahan stops by to talk with us um, about uh, about her post-UCF career playing with the Orlando Pride and uh, the Women's World Cup, uh, which uh, just finished up just recently. She didn't play in it, but she played alongside a few people who did. Uh, that and plenty more when we return. Don't go away. This is Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. You know, we're only... Um, just a, a couple of weeks away from women's soccer starting up is the first. Um, it's usually the fir- the traditionally first sport to get going. They have an exhibition match at Alabama on Sunday, August the 11th. My God, that is two weeks from this coming Sunday. <laughs> oh God, the season's starting. Um, at, at, at two exhibitions, one on one Sunday, August 11th at Alabama, one at home a week later, Sunday, August 18th against North Texas. They start their season Thursday, August 22nd at home against Wisconsin. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. But Eric Lopez, you, uh, we know all about the excellent uh, UCF women's soccer alumni that we've seen over the years, and it really has picked up. Uh, we had four UCF alumni playing in the World Cup. Um, our interviewee this week um, did not play in the World Cup, but played with several players who did, and she's a professional herself uh, with the Orlando Pride, Eric Lopez. That's right. That's Bridget Callahan, who played at UCF from 2014 to 2017, two conference championships in the American Conference, three NCAA tournament appearances, including 
a deep run in 2014. She's in her second season with the Orlando Pride in the NWSL. She's playing among her teammates, Alex Morgan of the World Cup champion United States national team. But she also, you mentioned, played with a couple of the two uh, players on that UCF alums, including Sophie Howard and played for Scotland and as well as Kat Susu who's on the Brazilian team. She played with both of them on the World Cup. I talked to her about that and also her journey from how she got to UCF and as well from UCF to the big leagues here in the NWSL with the Orlando Pride. Here is now my conversation with Bridget Callahan on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, of course, she was the star of one of the parts of the UCF soccer program, of course. Uh, part of that great team in uh, 2017 that won the American Conference regular season and title and, uh, of course, had that memorable years and multiple NCAA tournament appearances. Of course, now playing professionally for the Orlando Pride here uh, is Bridget Callahan joining us here. How you doing? I am wonderful. Actually, I'm going through some pretty bad Orlando weather, but that is Orlando for you. But, no, I'm doing very great and super excited to be on the show, so thank you. Yeah, that's weather in Orlando in, in, in July. Who knew, right? Um, that's that's the norm. Uh, but let me ask you about what's it been like playing with the Orlando Pride? And I think, I don't know, for those that may not know the full story, how you got to be a part of the uh, the Orlando Pride here, because that's a story fascinating itself. So just tell us a little bit about this the journey to where you're at now, where you've uh, been playing a full season here with the Pride. Well, um, so I ended my senior uh, senior year at UCF in fall of 2017, which, like you were saying, was a great year, and um, I was coming off a really good year. And um, come January, it was time for the NWSL draft, and I had entered my name into the draft, assuming that I wouldn't get drafted because I wasn't really ever like a big name player um, or anything like that. So I just entered it just because you know anything can happen. And like I thought, I didn't get drafted, and um, I got a call actually, like five from the assistant coach at the time of the Orlando Pride, and he invited me into preseason. A couple weeks later, I guess I did pretty well, and I got signed. So now here I am in year two, and um, I signed a full contract a couple weeks into preseason this year. And it's been great. This year's been great. You know, we're not having the best season, but just individually, I've gotten a lot of experience, gotten a lot of game time, and, you know, I'm just taking it day by day and really enjoying the ride so far. It has been. It's a unique season because, obviously, you mentioned there, there, there's been a coaching change since. So there, this is your first year with a new mm-hmm. coach. But also, it's been a World Cup year. So, for example, Alex Morgan obviously was with the U.S. team winning the World Cup. Marta was mm-hmm. with Brazil. So what is that like? Because – it's just a really unique year because players are kind of all over the place being a World Cup year, and, and, and it's kind of it feels like a lot of moving parts. Um, well, it's definitely been very different. They were there in the beginning of the season this year, um, and, like, obviously love their presence there. And a shout-out real quick to the three USA girls on my team for winning the World Cup. That's super sick. Um, but they're back now. But during the time that all of them are gone, there is nine of them, so we have – a couple from Brazil, a couple from um, a couple from Brazil, a couple from Australia. We got a girl from Canada, you know, three from the USA, a girl from Scotland. Um, but no, I mean, it was really good. It was really good for players who really 
um, have flown under the radar and just don't have as much experience. So the young players, when all these girls went off to the World Cup, um, got a lot more experience under their belt and got a lot of, including myself, got more playing time. And, um, you know, I think we were really lacking in, I'm going to say, leadership and just the experience of these older players who have been playing for so many years. So we were lacking that. Um, but, I mean, again, it was a really good experience, and they're back now, so that's super exciting, and, you know, they're ready to work, and, no, it's, it's, it was just really good. It's been really good this year. Um, just, I, I can't ask for anything better so far, so. What's the biggest thing you've learned from the pro game that maybe you didn't know as you started uh, this journey? Well, um, that it definitely is, you know, I'm going to say you have to be fully committed, absolutely committed. I mean, I, you know, was one who really didn't take care of my body as much uh, when I was in college. Like I can skate by and just, you know, not get a good night's sleep and I can skate by into practice the next day and, you know, still perform well. Um, But now, I mean, if you do that, you stick out like a sore thumb. So, I mean, I think that's different. Commitment is a lot different. I mean, I've, I've changed my commitment from college to the professional level. Um, and just the speed of play in terms of soccer is just like a lot, a lot quicker, a lot faster. I mean, you're playing against the best of the best. I mean, in, in my shoes, you're playing against the best of the best every single day. So. And you get to play with some of the best of the best. Alex Morgan, as we've talked about, Marta, as we've talked about, what is that like to be around not only playing against some of the best players in the world, but playing with some of the best players in the world and the most recognizable, uh, players in the world? Well, it's really fun, first and foremost. It's very, very fun. Um, I've definitely seen my game get a lot better being surrounded by all these very good players. Um, And just on the other side of things, like these girls are actually very cool people. Um, They're obviously older, but just they're they're very cool and they're there to help you. They're help. They they know we're young. They know I'm young. They're just there to, you know, prepare me for my future career in soccer. And they're just really just personable and nice people. So it's just been just been really good being around them. What is it like to, you know, for you to see the World Cup and you saw some of the UCF alums playing in the Women's uh, World Cup there? And there were four players that were part of World Cup rosters. Uh, Alini Reyes, who just got inducted to the UCF Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Kat Sousa, uh, obviously, was on the Brazilian team. Uh, you had Sophie. I think Sophie was on the, uh, the, uh, the, one mm-hmm. of the other teams there, as well as Plummer, who's currently on the UCF team. What was that like for you? That was really, honestly, very, very cool. I think I've, I watched every single game that a UCF player was in. Um, so just starting off with Kanya, I mean, she's younger than me, but I got to play a little bit here and there, just pick up games with her, and she just really is a great soul. Everything that you've heard and seen in the night magazines and all her talk all around Orlando is all very true. And she's, I mean, a, a fantastic center back and a tremendous leader. So that was really cool, just watching her shine. Um and take Jamaica to their first World Cup. And then I personally never got to play with Alini. Um, I know girls who played with Alini, but again, I've, I've heard nothing but great things about her. She is a super respected goalkeeper and person as well. Um, and with, with the remaining two, Kathleen and Sophie, I actually got to play with both of them, which was, um, which was a really good experience. Sophie, I got to play with um, my freshman year of college and, she was, I personally think she was one of the best players I've ever played with. She's very well-rounded and such a great girl off the field as well. 
Um, and then Kathleen has a special place in my heart. Uh, we got to play together my senior year. She was a senior as well. So we had a tight, a tight knit group that year. Um, and just seeing her just like start and play 90 minutes with Brazil on national television. It just, I was just very, very proud of her and she's, she's come a long way and, you know, she is only up to go because she's so talented and she is one of the best center backs I've ever played with as well. So it was just really cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah, it was certainly a lot of fun and a lot of pride. We're speaking with Bridget Callahan here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, you had a great career yourself at UCF. Uh, three NCAA tournament appearances, a couple of American Conference regular season championships. Have you had time to reflect on your UCF uh, for years? Um, yeah, I mean, whenever we get the gang back together, we always reflect on it. And, you know, we just talk more about the times where, I mean, we had so much fun. I mean, I got, I was lucky enough to have Tiff and Tim Sahadak as my coaches. And, you know, they really evolved me and helped me grow into someone that, you know, I, I like. And, you know, I mean, looking back, senior year was just something that I really feel like I can't ever replace on a team that I'm in because that was just really something we always talk about it just something super special um unfortunate that we lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament um because I think we could have we could have made some history there and um but no it was really great I love I love UCF I had I would seriously promote it anywhere I had the best time you know won a couple conference championships went to the NCAA tournament quite a few times so no I think I had a successful a successful career but I mean I owe that all to my coaches and the teammates that I that I had in the four years that I was there so how did you end up going to UCF what made you decide to go to UCF take us through that process how you ended up going to UCF oh this is actually a very funny story so at first um, I was originally committed to VCU as a sophomore in college um, which is Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond Virginia um, and I was committed there because I was I, I loved the coaches that were recruiting me. And, of course, those coaches were Tim and Tiff Sahedak. <laughs> um, so, actually, they were offered a job when Amanda Cromwell was accepted a job in UCLA. They were offered the job at UCF. And this was towards the end of my junior year. Um, and they accepted it and called me and told me that they were going to accept the job and move to Orlando. And they actually um, offered me... A scholarship to go to UCF and at first I didn't commit right away I opened up the recruiting process again and um, I decommitted from VCU and I ended up going on a couple recruiting visits but my heart was with Tim and Tiff wow. so that's how I ended up at UCF that's wild how things could change uh, what, what, what very is it? wild Talk about Tiff, Coach Tiff, and, and Tiff. what makes them so unique and what is it that makes it so fun to play with and, 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 and the success they've had I mean, speaks for itself. But what makes them so great? What makes them work and why uh, players want to play for them? Um, well, first of all, I think they have a very, very good balance um, when it comes to soccer. I think that Tiff obviously is a, a very – a great soccer player. She had a great career. Um, I mean, and that isn't even giving her enough credit, but you know, she knows the game very well. And so does Tim. And, you know, I think Tiff deals a lot with like the personal relationships off the field things. And she is as anyone who knows Tiff is super personable and just empathetic and just really cares about the people that she works with. And 
then Tim has the side of the job as he's that way as well, but he is more focused on like running the sessions where it's like tactical and like the actual soccer information and, you know, Tiff rallies the troops and we're all behind um, that. And, you know, they're just both very caring people and, you know, it's a family, it's a family culture and they stick to that at UCF. So I, I just, I just think it just really works what they do there. So, yeah, it does work. Uh, and then I know I think during your run there at UCF, uh, you you cha- you kind of played multi positions, right? Didn't you have to change positions at some point during UCF because you were midfield and defense? Uh, just talk about that yeah. during that run and changing positions. Yeah, I think that developed me into a player. So my freshman year, um, I was I came in as a midfielder. I had some experience at defense. Um, so I I fortunately got to play in like almost every single game as a freshman. I came off the bench and got good minutes. So that was great. And we had a really good run my freshman year as well. We went to the Sweet 16. So just playing with all those players my freshman year in midfield just, I think, developed me more into just a better midfielder. And then come my sophomore and junior year, we were lacking, um, like, a center defender. So Tiff asked me, or she didn't ask me. She told me I was going to play center back. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up playing there every game my sophomore and junior year, which I think molded me into more of like a defensive minded player. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I never, I would never take those like two years back because they, they really did mold me into a better player as well. And then going into my senior year, I was playing center back again. And speaking of Kathleen, she was actually playing midfield. And in the South, our first game of the season, we played South Carolina. Um, and 15 minutes into the game, I was playing center back and I, 15 minutes into the game, I got a red card. Um, and so they moved Kathleen from midfield back to center back during that game. And she played phenomenal. And I got put in the midfield after that. Cause I was a midfielder and the rest is history. That is wild. I do remember that match. I remember watching that match that was televised. And yeah, Mac- Tiff was really mad at me for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that was a big showcase match uh, against South Carolina, and they, it was like, wait a minute, we're going to be playing short the rest of this match? Uh, but, yeah, they played well. and I and, Yeah, they did. And they I did. almost thought that was a positive moving forward. I think I even talked to Coach about that. I mean, at the time, was, I mean, she, as you mentioned, she was not happy about it, but I think the yeah. team grew from that experience, and it would carry over, right? No, absolutely. I mean, Kathleen ended up getting – defensive player of the year and now she's starting as a center back in uh the world cup so i mean it sounds to me like kathleen well. it sounds to me kathleen owes you then for taking the red card then it's all because of that. <laughs> she owes you yeah we joke about that here and there i hope she listens to this and hears this conversation <laughs> uh but uh yeah no so, that, yeah. I, I do remember that that was wild that was a what was that like for you were you shocked when you got that red card um I don't I, – I mean, okay, looking back on it, I I completely understand why I got the red card. I didn't think it was going to be a red. I thought it was going to be a yellow. So, yes, I was completely shocked and just like – I mean, it was my first game of my senior year, and I was like, well, if this is how it's going to go my senior <laughs> year, then this isn't going to be too fun. But, no, I was just pro- – I was just disappointed and just, you know, pretty upset for like a couple minutes sitting on the bench. You know, I'm not going to lie. I shed a quick tear. Um, but – no, and then, I mean, the team performed really well and just they all gathered together and all 10 of them did really well with the subs on the bench as well coming in. So, I mean, 
I was very proud of them and what they did. And I mean, we brought that momentum into the remainder of our season. So, yeah, a week later, maybe one of the highlights of your career was that matchup against North Carolina. North Carolina coming to UCF on campus. Yeah. The obvious storylines with Coach Tiff playing at North Carolina for the legendary head coach, Coach Dorrance. Mm-hmm. And what a phenomenal match that was. I was there. It was a great crowd. Um, man, oh, man. Well, yeah, go ahead. Tell us, what was that like to be a part of that, that magical night there when you guys knocked off North Carolina? You know, you don't really know how special it is till, you know, like – in the moment, you don't know how special it is till it's kind of over. And just looking back on it, it's just like that was one of – that is like top that, – that's like the most fun I've ever had. Like that was the most fun game ever. Um, it was great. I mean, we, we, we were down in the first seven minutes, 1-0. We came back, tied it up before halftime, I think it was. And then, you know, it was a nitty-gritty second half going into overtime. It was just like we were pulling, like we were pushing for a win. and we got it, and lo and behold, it was Christine Creighton, this girl we always called Stein, came out of the woodworks, scored the game winner, and I mean, it was it was amazing. You couldn't ask for anything better than that. We'll talk about that for the rest of our lives. You know the 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 girls that were on that team. So, and of course, just Tiff beating her alma mater. That's awesome, and Tim. That is so fun for them, and just yeah, that's a night you know I'll never ever forget ever. So that was great. Yeah, knocking off then number four ranked North Carolina. And did that give you all the confidence moving forward? Because you guys would just go on a big run. You dominated the American Conference, winning the regular season title. You were top ten, I think, at one in the polls and ended up getting a yeah, national think, seat. Yeah. Was that was that the turning point where you were like, hey, we can really do some this could be really special? It was. It was it really was. I remember I drove up to Jacksonville the day after the game. Um, you know, we had off the next day and I just remember texting my teammate Kayla Adamack and we were just talking about it and we were like wait like is are we like really good like we were just kind of we were just like I think we could be something like this really could be something this year and just you know everyone hopped on board and we were that team that year and that was great and you know we held on to a top 10 a top 10 ranking I think the whole entire season just swept the American Conference and I mean we were we were like really we were really good so, yeah, I think that definitely propelled us into the rest of the season. Do you have a favorite goal or, or even a game other than the North Carolina game that jumps out to you from your career? Any goal that you just stands out to you? You're like, wow, that's one of my – like when I think back of plays I made in my college career, that's the <laughs> one that stands out. Um, I mean, not really. I really was never someone who was super, like, flashy with goals or anything like that. I was just kind of, you know, the little worker in the midfield. Um. I usually scored all my goals with my head, and I mean it was I only scored like three a year, so it was really nothing <laughs> special. But I mean I always think of Carol Rodriguez's goal from my sophomore year when she scored that bicycle kick. Oh yeah. Um, I actually like just kind of I had the assist on that, which I think is the only reason why I got Defensive Player of the Week that week because of Carol's goal. <laughs> 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 because fun. I don't think I really performed well defensively, but. <laughs> um, no, I think of that goal for sure, and I had the assist, and just, I mean, that was something that UCF will always remember as well, UCF soccer, so. You guys were always great defensive teams, though. You bring that up. You're kind of jokingly about being defensive player, but why were you all as a team so good defensively? Um, I think we were very good defensively because I think Tiff 
really instilled like a competitive nature into all of us and we were nitty gritty at practice like we gave 100 percent and it practice was always super super competitive we always played 4v4 and just I mean she always told us that she did that at North Carolina as well um when she was in college so I, I mean just none of us like to lose and I think that's just you know that plays into your defensive role so we were all just nitty-gritty little defenders What's the message you give to the current and maybe future nights uh, with the program? Because I know with the tradition that UCF soccer has, uh, I'm sure you heard about it when you first arrived and you learned about it. I mean, all the great players that have been before you, uh, the, the tradition, the, the success, going back to when Michelle Akers was playing there and things like that. What, what's, the, what's the message with from within there? Because I'm sure you still follow the program closely. Um, so the message I would give, like, to – Former or current players right now. Yeah. Um, I I would say just, like, get, if you can do it, just it, every single day. I mean, you get to practice every single day. Just don't just don't really take anything for granted. Um, I mean, some days I would go into practice and just be like, oh, man, like, ugh, I'm so tired. But just – and, like, some days I still do that. But just looking back in college, you really only have a set certain four, four years. Some people get five. Um, and even some people get six, but, you know, you only have these certain amount of years and becoming a professional athlete is not guaranteed whatsoever. So might as well just take, take this time and roll with it. Like give it your all every single, every single day. So, and you're playing for something way more than just yourself. You know, you're playing for the people that were before you and the people who are after you and, you're playing for your teammates and you're playing for your coaches and you're most importantly playing for your university. So just, you know, take it all in and just be the best you can be. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. How, uh, talk about the schedule. Cause uh, we're going to talk about this. You still got a lot of soccer ahead of you here this season, uh, in the league, I do. Um, I do. The, the league doesn't end. The regular season does not end till October. Uh, so yeah, you've, mid-October. You've, Mid-October. So you've got a lot of games left here, a lot of ground to you know to, you, to turn the season and and end with the goals you want. But that's so different than the college season, which seems like a sprint in comparison from it August is. to November. Describe the differences there as one who's played both. Well, um, in college, we used to have Thursday Sunday games, and then you know sometimes we would get a random weekend off. So. I mean, it was a quick turnaround from Thursday to Sunday. My freshman year, it was actually Friday, Sunday. So that was a very quick turnaround. But, um, yeah, so Thursday, Sunday, you know, the people who played 90 minutes would get a lot of recovery time in and just we would go in the pool, foam roll, this and that. Um, and comparing that to playing professionally, it's only one game, one game like a weekend and some – some weekends you have off, and we have a lot of off days during the week. So usually we have one and two off days during the week, but we go really hard on the days that we don't have off. We're out there for like two and a half hours and then have gym sessions and meetings with the Pride. So, I mean, just it's a lot of stuff that you have to do on your own, like recovering and things like that. So, I mean, that's where the difference lies. It's just so much more. I think in college it was just like so much more soccer but it, the level is just so much higher professionally if that makes sense yeah no it makes sense it's just wild to me uh the drastic differences there and like the college soccer is like a sprint because i know yeah. I've, I've talked to coaches some college coaches 
want to do, you know, think about the two semesters just to be more fair because it's just, you know, a lot of times a team like I know in last season UCF for the women's team, they had some injuries early and they had to, you know, they were just trying to figure things out. And by the time they were starting to figure things out, poof, the season was done, you know, and it's yeah. just, uh, whereas you yeah, have the luxury so- with your team. You could still, you know, you've got time to kind of get in, you know, get all everybody together and, and, and you know, get into that on the same page. Mm-hmm. I guess only the strong survive in college, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, a couple last things before I let you go. Um, uh, do you as players in the league, in the pro league here, talk about keep building, continuing that momentum? Obviously, a lot of eyeballs on the Women's World Cup, a lot of TV mm-hmm. viewership. The league just mm-hmm. signed a TV deal with ESPN. They're going to air matches are going to air on ESPN two, ESPN News. In fact, the recent match with uh, the you guys against Portland aired on that on ESPN mm-hmm. News. So, do you play as players? Do you talk about that about you know continuing there to bring more interest, more eyeballs to your product, to the league, and continue the momentum from the World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we had a two-year we had a two-year agreement with Lifetime because um, our games were what they used to be aired on Lifetime. We had a two-year agreement on Lifetime, and then coming into the season this year, our se- our second year with Lifetime, they just I guess cut the contract, and you know, thankfully Yahoo Sports picked up, picked up the league, and now there's games on Yahoo Sports that people can watch all the time. Um, and coming off the World Cup, ESPN is now picked us up, and games are being broadcasted there. So hopefully, it just you know keeps growing and getting better and I can guarantee you that it is going to continue to grow because I just rumors are going around about certain things about expansion of the league and just you know I think I think of course the United States put women's soccer once again on the map like they've been doing so I think that more and more people will come come out and watch and also watch what's being aired yeah, no, I think it's no question. I think that's the big steps. And it takes it, sometimes it takes a while. I know people kind of want it done quickly. It's not as simple as that, but I do think yeah, there's grounds not. to be made. And um, I think that shows, though, that there's interest with the World Cup and the, and the individual players on those teams. And uh, yeah. it's now you get to see them in their markets. And I think it's just getting the word out and getting the exposure out. Um, and I think that's huge for you guys, which much better situation than, say, a handful of years ago. So um, No, absolutely. I completely agree. Last question. What's going to be the key for your team now, the pride here? As you mentioned, uh, we still got a lot of soccer to go here. Uh, not the start of the year you wanted, but I feel like you've kind of, you guys are starting to find yourselves and figure yourselves out. Mentioned the players coming back. So what's going to be the key here to have this run and success that you all want to have? You know, I've always said um, that team chemistry is just very, very important in the success of your team and winning. Um, I think that's why we were so successful my senior year, going back to UCF, my senior year, we all just really enjoyed enjoyed each other and respected each other on and off the field. And there was just like a really big sense of love and community. And, you know, like we did really well. And I just think that that's something that we're definitely potentially lacking on the prize, just that. But of course, professional soccer is different because everyone is fighting every single day for their job because it is their job. But I think going forward, something that will definitely benefit us is team chemistry and just, you know, just getting along with each other and understanding each other's, you know, good, what people are good at and what people are bad at and accepting it for what it is and moving forward together as a team. So I think team chemistry is definitely going to be a very, very big factor. 
Well, we're going to be rooting you on. We're excited for you. We're proud of you. We're excited to see you on the pitch and, and playing at Exploria Stadium here in Orlando uh, as the season continues here. Bridget Callahan, UCF great, and, of course, with the Orlando Pride as well <laughs> here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Check her out. Of course, follow Orlando Pride Soccer. Go all the information online. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much from a busy schedule here during the season. Uh, glad to do this. It's good to catch up with you, and uh, we'll definitely be uh, keeping in touch and uh, talking to you down the road again. Of course, Eric. I very much appreciate you for having me on your show, and go Knights. <laughs> And thanks to uh, Bridget Callahan for joining us here uh, on the Black Eagle Banneret podcast. Lots of great stuff to get into there, guys. And uh, Jeffrey, what a what a great story for her. Obviously, getting to UCF, playing under Coach Taff and the Sahadaks, and the great career she had. And now here she is in the pros in the NWSL and uh, post World Cup. And she's got a, what a great. She's going to have a lot of great stories to tell in her uh, post career, isn't she? You know. I- Look at the you know look at the names that she's played alongside. Obviously, not just for UCF, which you guys mentioned, but you know with the pride, Alex Morgan, Marta, um, Ashlyn Harris, goalkeeper, Ali Krieger, um, Sydney Larue. I mean, it, it, an amazing array of talent that she's played alongside uh, throughout her uh, career. Talk about having a front row seat, and she's right with those players in terms of that competition. So, um, and. It, 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 see, that's one of those things that I think is kind of underrated. You know, we only talk about sometimes quite often about, you know, stars, right, playing at certain levels. But, you know, Bridget is one of those players who's carved out a nice little professional career for herself. Is she on the USA national team? No, maybe one day she will be. But um, she understands what it takes to make a career um out of uh, out of out of soccer in a, in a women's soccer league, you know, and I and I hope that as she moves as her career progresses, that she does get uh, a, even a little bit more um, opportunity with the pride. It's, sometimes it's a little bit tough, you know, considering that the competition with the national players is back. But um, you know, when you put when you play alongside the best, sometimes that get that steps up your game too. So uh, hoping uh, hoping Bridget continues to uh, step it up here for. Uh, uh, on the Pride, uh, even alongside some of that great competition. Lord knows there's plenty of exposure there. The Pride are one of the premier franchises in the NWSL, you know? Yeah, and it's going to be interesting, as she talked about. We talked about the new TV deal now. A lot of their matches will be on ESPN2, and ESPN News picked up some of those matches. Can the pro game continue the momentum from the World Cup? And I'm curious to see if the Pride can build the momentum, because you, Jeff, you know... I felt like women. this has always been a women's soccer town. I mean, UCF women's soccer draws well. They've had the success and the tradition, which Bridget talked about, carrying that over from, from, the, from the, for the previous group to the next group to the next group. And it'll be interesting to see if that carries over with the pride. And I think she's one of those players you have to have on your roster as a glue person to help you in the intangibles and win games. And I don't think it's an accident that since when, you know, she's been playing more that they've had, they were off to a slow start this year. They've started to play better. Now that they get reinforcements back, they can make a run here in the next few months and make a chance to run at the postseason. So yeah. we'll see if uh, you know that carries over. But, I mean, it's a rich, rich history here of women's soccer and with UCF soccer season starting, as you mentioned, around the corner post-World Cup. Uh, I think that could also, I think, adds a little bit of a boost, don't you think, to the interest? I, I would hope so. You know, the, I, I think that, the key for that league is going to be the exposure. By the way, getting those matches, and we've talked about this a gazillion times, right, Eric? Getting those matches on the ESPN networks when I think before they were on Lifetime, is that right? 
They're on uh, Lifetime, and then Yahoo carried some games online. Yeah, that ain't going to do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, Life, uh, Lifetime no. is where you go to watch really bad made-for-TV movies starring Shannon Doherty. But, um, well, and it, it, it shows the, the, the first match they aired, uh, the first couple matches they've aired on ESPN2 and uh, ESPN News, the ratings are way up compared to Lifetime. Because you're right, people just don't. We, the audience that's going to Lifetime aren't sports audience. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, we have more uh, a likelihood that people will casually flip to ESPN two or ESPN News and catch your soccer. And I'd be interested to see what happens if uh, in the next couple years if ESPN uh, Plus actually gets into the act a little bit because Bingo. women's soccer is a as we know it has a it has a it has a relatively small in number but very passionate audience um, and. If and it's one of those places where a entity like ESPN um, can help promote that brand to those fans better than any other entity out there. Certainly better than Lifetime, I'll tell you that. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that works out for the league and for the Pride because they put to, they have a good product. They have a um, they have a number of stars on the team, and uh, and that's that's where I mean two of the biggest stars in the World Cup play for the Orlando Pride right now. Alex Morgan yeah. and Marta. It should be better. They should be drawing better. And look, they haven't had the success I think that you would have thought, considering the roster that they have. Yeah. Um, that's why they made a coaching change uh, after last season. But there's potential there. There's no reason why they can't have success and be one of the model franchises in the NWSL. But you know, they have the fan bases, as we've seen that with Orlando City on the men's side. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why they wouldn't get the support on the women's side. But you got to put out, you got to produce, you got to get wins and. We'll see what happens. But having players like Callahan, I think, is heading, uh, helps in the right direction, too. Yeah. Because you can't just have a bunch of star players because then it's just a cluster there and then nobody knows their roles. Yeah. And by the way, more exposure on ESPN means more dollars for the franchises, and that means better salaries for the players. And I think that's the other thing that's really important is, you know, if you can, it, the, the better the players are paid, the better product you're going to see because you're going to be able to attract better talent over to this uh, league. You know, we see a lot of players, a lot of UCF players go overseas and play women's soccer um, professionally with teams in, you know, countries like Germany, That's for what Alini's doing. Alini right. Ray, yeah, Alini Reyes is doing that on the Europe side, so you're right. Wouldn't it be nice to, for them to bring her over here, stateside, right? So, sure. um, that would be, uh, that's something I think it bears watching the next uh, few years. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll uh, we'll dive into some of what Eric's talking about with the uh, uh, with his uh, top twenty five games of 2018-2019 or UCF, a little series that we're pumping out. We're finishing up, but we're going to try and help Eric out with a little writer's block if he's having. Stick around; we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here uh, as we finish things up here on this uh, on this Thursday. Uh, remember to, uh, by the way, also uh, hit up our uh, Fan Pulse uh, as well. You know, we just partnered up with, uh, obviously, this is something that SB Nation is doing um, nationwide with all their team brands. And uh, they're creating, we're creating a Fan Pulse Fan Top 25. Um, and we're doing it nationally on a national scale. Um, and, uh, and we're aiming now I've gotten a lot of flack of late from some UCF fans who are like, Hey man, why is there uh, why is there just a G5 option for what's my favorite team when I sign up? Look, it's beyond my control. Just pick G5, move on. And the more of, and, and, and here's, here's my thing. The more of you sign up 
for this that say, I'm a UCF fan, all right? The more of a case I can make to the uh, to the uh, the folks at the mothership saying, hey, we need to have a specific UCF and actually overall, because um, uh, because UCF is not the only group of five team that's represented on the UCF uh, on the SB Nation team brands. Hey, we need our own thing here. Okay, so help me help you is what I'm trying to say. Okay, um, we're, now we're in the middle of a good uh, series here that we're trying to get done before the next football season starts. Um, of the top 25 games of 2018-2019, uh, Eric Lopez has been the uh, captain driving the ship on this. And we're into the top 10. But, Eric, you're telling me that you're having some writer's block on this. Okay, so we've got... That's hard, man. These are hard, man. To try to All these different sports and various things, try to kind of be fair and quantify it and not try to be too repetitive on the sport. I mean, it's been... Uh, it's a hell of a year, so, man. It's, so... Uh, we have the just recent, yeah. We just we just put up number twelve, which was the baseball win uh, against Houston, a game that uh, Brian Murphy you remember extremely well. Mm, mm. Yes, <laughs> maybe maybe your chagrin. It was a five hour game. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah the, uh, the uh, number eleven coming up. I think you've got um, uh, the UCF uh, game against. Cincinnati college game day time. Uh, number ten, uh, UCF volleyball clinching the uh, American, and so now we have so now we have nine left to go. Nine left to go. So we have two football games, so two, four basketball games. That's six. One men's soccer game. That's seven. One no, the baseball's done. Uh, tennis. We have three. Florida, yeah. South Florida, and Florida State. So one of them's got to go. Well, or one of them could be just thrown in there as a mention when I list them. I've done that too, where hmm. I'll mention a couple games on the on a, on a specific ranking. For example, like, do you guys think? Let me ask you this question: okay. Do you think the VCU win and the Duke loss should be put together? Because I feel no. weird ranking a loss on its, you know. But you, you say no, Brian say no no we, we well we kind of already been through this and the fans kind of agree that that was that was the best game of the year even in a loss right because that was game I mean, of the year in the banner in the banneret awards too and vcu yeah. i think was a separate game from that too right you know yeah i mean yeah i, I you, know, if, you know maybe if the vcu game is on the list that's fine uh because of what it means for the program uh but the Duke game, well, I, even I, the loss, is on. So I want to. So let's do this. Let's do this because uh, outside of the tennis, uh, the tennis, mm-hmm. which I, I think I know what I'll probably end up doing is two of those tennis matches will be put together, limped in when I do the ranking. So that's how that'll take care of that. But Mr. Brian Murphy, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> oh my the, God, oh boy, is the only person of the three of us that could was at every basketball and football game still listed, right, Mr. Sharon? Uh, I believe that is correct. And the, the football games that are left are the two Memphis games, the regular season game at Memphis and yep. the conference championship game. The men's basketball yep. games that are still there are going to be ranked are the Houston win at Houston, the win at home against Cincinnati on senior night, mm-hmm. the win against VCU in the opening round of the NCAA tournament, and the aforementioned loss against Duke. Uh, yeah. I, for you personally, rank those games since you were so at them, all of them. So I'm ranking those five games. Six. I think it's six. Six. Yeah. There's 
Oh, the, the Cincinnati the Cincinnati football game is also in there too. No, 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 no. no. The uh, it's it's the it's the the four basketball games. So Duke, okay. VCU, Cin- VCU, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati and, and what else? And at Houston, the the college game oh, day at okay, Houston. At Houston. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah, and then the two Memphis games for football. All right, you're on the spot, oh, Murphy. Don't okay. don't disappoint us. Yeah, this is weird. Um, all right, I will go. Boy, this is this. They're they're all great. They they really are. Uh, I will go. Yeah, no, it's well. Well, thank you, UCF Athletics, <laughs> for, for finding some freaking classics. Uh, boy, I will go VCU six. <laughs> oh, the, first, the first win in, in, in tournament program NCAA tournament history. It was probably six, and then uh, I will go. I'll I'll defend ti- I'll defend you on that know. one because that that win was probably about as ex- oh, yeah. the most expected out of all six of them I would say it was also the least I know it was also the least suspenseful it was also you know, like yeah it has a, a story it is it's a story but man oh man uh, um you're just, I mean I'm gonna eat this I feel like it's I I I I will say this I feel like the Duke game is still number one. Even in yeah. front of those two football games, I think okay. the next game is probably the Memphis regular season win, which is a fantastic win. Obviously, you know, I mean, it was just a bonkers game uh, in the rain and whatnot. Um, it was a, it was a Steinbeck novel, is what it was. It was it was, and, and whereas the conference title game win is probably let it's probably not as uh, it's, gonna, it's not as good of a game. I mean, the conference title game win. It's not aesthetically as good of a game as the regular season win, but with all of the the Milton surroundings and Mac starting that game and how UCF came back from uh, it was even a worse first half than they had at Memphis. It's probably a better game. It's higher up over the regular season win, um, but like to rank it all, like so yeah, VCU sticks regular season win at Memphis. <laughs> VCU then we're gonna go. Then we'll go Houston win third or fourth. Then Houston win fourth. And then Cincinnati probably third. Memphis title game win second. And the Duke loss one. Okay. Now, which one you which Memphis game you have at two? I had the t- I had the title game because of the well the obviously the meaning, okay. the meaning of it and the the, the Milton uh, storyline and, and, and how they came back from literally it was the the worst first half I've ever seen uh, any maybe any football team play on defense uh, and plus Mac had three fumbles, but which I mean my, my I'm more like I'm more wrestling with like maybe there's more basketball games that should be ranked in front of the title game for football like should we put the Cincinnati game in front of the title game for football like maybe I, I'm more open to that because I still think the Duke game is one. I. I tend to put this is going to sound weird. I'm going to put the Houston basketball game ahead of the Cincinnati basketball game. Okay. And I'll tell you why. That game more or less clinched the NCAAs for the for the basketball team. And was I think that was even more of a catalyst for that team than even after the Cincinnati game. Um I don't think they I don't think they win the Cincinnati game without winning the Houston game. Personally, good point. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the fact that there was that game was supposed to be Houston's coming out party. They'd won a gazillion games in a row at home. Um, 
and UCF was also there that morning, right? And yes. UCF comes in to their house, ends that where they, long, had, where, they, where they had lost more than a year. Yeah, in, yeah, in more than a year, and took it to them, and uh, and and took care of business. I, I thought that that was that was ended up being a more significant. And the Cincinnati game was that was the launching pad for the Cincinnati game. So I would actually put the Houston game as the second biggest basketball game of the year. Um, would you put that in front of the football title game? I would not. I would put the football title game. I think I'm with you. I would put the football title game second. Second, I think I would yeah. because um, it was a vindicate. There was something about that game. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? There was something about that game just in the building that day. It felt so different. Obviously, the emotion of the week before and losing McKenzie and all that. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen with Daryl Mack what's, and the second, the way the game played out. But even even putting all that aside, there was this feeling in the building of absolute vindication on the part of the players, on the part of the fan base, uh, that that... And especially, I thought on the part of the coaches that you know mm-hmm. who were all in their first season at UCF and taking over from Scott Frost. That you know that yeah, we can, we are this good. It really, it, it, it's it's no joke now. It's not. A, it should not be a surprise. Two straight undefeated, uh, undefeated seasons uh, up to the bowl game. Um, Twenty five wins in a row. Um, there's something mm-hmm. ma- I think there's something magic about that number 225 I, you know that's the other thing too and and to do that um on the home field it, it in prime time it just, it really did feel like a like a real vindication of uh, a lot of things that this is no fluke I, I don't know do, do you do you feel that way about that uh I I, I get it I, I think you know losing the bowl game it, it doesn't hurt as much since you already won the conference title game that you feel like again we've run, we've run it back to back we've run back to back undefeated mm-hmm. you know in the season title game wins yeah I get some of that vindication uh, some of the whole like you know we don't need I mean McKenzie's a big part of us but we're more than just McKenzie Milton we can we can win with different people and, and, and come back the way they did um, yeah I get it, 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 it as I'm talking about it like I, it, that game was was really ugly for like and I, I'm not just saying that as like a UCF fan like, I'm saying that as a Bad man, you guys just want every game to be like this. This, you know, yeah, Donatella and artwork. You know, well, it would be nice if you know there was a game where you know the guy wasn't blowing coverage like twenty yards away. You know, maybe the tackling would be great once in a while. (laughs) So it was it was rough, but yeah, I I get everything you're saying. Uh, I think the the last thing I'll say is uh, I feel. Very confident with ranking the first NCAA tournament victory in men's basketball history last on this. That is wild. That is it's wild. Not, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never done that before. Without that game, we don't have a Duke game. I, I get it. I get it. But it was. A, it, I, I I have a feeling like that result was. I don't want to say expected, but it was the least surprising. 
Well, UCF yeah, was it, a one-point favorite going in, weren't they? Or was it one point? Uh, no, UCF was a favorite it, going into that game, I think. Yeah, maybe they were one-point favorite. It was a push. Again, that, that roster was all banged up. Their, their point guard was hurt. with a Vegas, Vegas missed on that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was just UCF was a better team. I get it. It means a lot for the program. They don't have that game. They don't have the team without that win. But we're talking about just the game in a vacuum. One of the best games. That is clearly not a better game than the Duke game, not even close. Um, my argument for Cincinnati over Houston is, I guess, more of a Cincinnati thing. Um, you know, the, the whole Taco's mom and brother are there. It's, you know, it's the sign-off for, for B.J. Taylor and, and all the seniors on this team. Also, yes, the Houston win got them, uh, you know, probably into the tournament, but the Cincinnati win really, really locked it up, and even the players – acknowledge that afterward like they wouldn't do that after the houston win but after the cincinnati win they finally did acknowledge they were going to make the assembly tournament so uh there, you know there was there was i guess a slight there was a, a the, the door was ajar for them not to make it until that cincinnati win so it had a lot of it had a lot of um cachet in, in that realm so anyway but anyway, yes a loss a loss should be number one on this list hmm I know, man. I still, I'm still like, how did that, how did that ball not go in? Unbelievable. Any, so, all right, real, real quick. So, the, any issues with my rankings up until this point? Anything that jumps out? Well, I was going to ask you about ranking the, the. I mean, yeah, it's baseball, so duh. Uh, about ranking the Houston game in front of the Spikes game. Um, and again, I'm coming at it from a story angle. So I thought this, the Spicer game was, was an amazing story and an amazing performance, amazing single-man performance considering what he had gone through. I, I, I don't know if there's any – and again, they're not going to fall apart. I think they had one, like two spots above the other, three spots above the other. But if I was ranking, I probably would have had the Spicer game ahead of the Houston game. Um, but just my thought. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you could make the case. Uh, the reason that I put the Houston game ahead is because that game had a little bit of everything. It was senior mm-hmm. night. Uh, yep. We, I remember you and I were there. We both said this was a must-win because if Absolutely. they didn't, you know, at, at the time, you know, they they didn't win, uh, they basically had to win the tournament. And, you know, turns out maybe they had to anyway. But it's a Houston series. The Terry Rooney coming back factor. Uh, his first game back, and there was uh, some interesting storylines that developed during the game <laughs> involving oh. Terry Rooney that we're not going to get into. But uh, yeah. I, that that is uh, that also influenced my uh, rankings a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> uh, things that happen. Things that happen away from the field. Hashtag. Before, ha- hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag free Logan. <laughs> free Logan. <laughs> because because I got to tell you. That atmosphere was what I mean. I'm not saying that it was a packed house or everything, but the crowd that was there was into that game, and it was yeah. tense, and it really got tense with the whole Rooney stuff every time he came out uh, to some extent. And then the game was kind of a back and forth. Why it was. It was. A little bit of it? it was testy. Yeah. 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 It so. was testy. You had UCF with the big lead early. Houston would come back, uh, yep. and then the unlikely hero, a senior, Brandon Hernandez, who's been. Was probably the you know was was, was uh, you know criticized uh, let's just say by some fans uh, for performing had the, the walk off hit in this wild game that goes five hours that had a little bit of everything I, I thought it was an amazing game from the performance and I think people left there thinking UCF's got a chance to make the tournament and make a run at the conference tournament whereas if they lost yeah. that I think people would have checked out 
I've I've got one issue. I've got one issue. Where was it? Oh, there it is. All right. So, you know, I forgot all about the football games earlier in the year, like the Temple game and the Cincinnati and the Cincinnati game. I feel like you have the Cincinnati game that's coming out tomorrow on number eleven. Spoiler alert! I yeah, spoiler alert. Right, it's everyone's. But I thought that there was one that I thought should have been should have been a little bit higher. I thought the UC I thought the baseball game against Memphis could have been higher. Um Speaks, says the guy that called the game. Says the guy that called the game obviously. <laughs> uh I also I also would like to nominate that men's soccer game against UConn to go higher than at least one basketball game. Because that was probably the, in well, terms it did. It went higher than the SMU win in basketball. Well, then at least one of the remaining basketball games, and I'll tell you why. That was if you watched a if you watched that game from beginning to end, that was one of the most dramatic events I've seen in a long time. For for us, this is men's soccer, and to come back from down two nothing at the half, uh, and opportunity after opportunity, and and to finally score that goal late to tie it. And then to win it on a free kick in in golden goal fashion, uh, and I know UCF did not win the American, and that was in the semifinal. But I really don't care. Yep. That was that was that should be I, that was my nominee. I think I picked that one for game of the year. I think um, when well, we were voting on game. banner, it, it was, was an, it was just an game. astounding astounding event to be at. It was it had ever it was a game that had everything to me. It was. I agree with everything. The problem is, you mentioned it. Number one, it was a semifinal game, and they lost the conference title game the next match. If they won the conference title, I think you probably would have moved up a spot or two. It's kind of like baseball, to Brian's point, uh, the Memphis game. The thing that kind of hurt some of these rankings for baseball is they didn't make the NCAA tournament. I just felt uncomfortable ranking so highly these games from a team that didn't even make the tournament in a year where everybody made the tournament. Like had ba- like had the Spicer game gotten UCF into the NCAA tournament, it probably would have been in the top ten, for example. Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't, you know, in the big picture thing. Same thing with the Memphis game. Uh, and I think with men's soccer, it really didn't affect them from a seeding. They still got the high seed. They still got to host the tournament, so it didn't really affect them. It was an exciting game. I agree with you, and that's why I had it late. But I can't rank that over. I believe I ranked the uh, the volleyball ahead. A five-set match against Cincinnati that was basically helped UCF win the conference championship. You both were at that volleyball match. That was incredible. Yeah, that was really good. And they're facing a team that had, you know, arguably one of the best players in the nation in you know at Cincinnati. Uh, that Cincinnati girl, I Horn forgot Thompson. her name. Yeah, Corin Thompson. Um, no, it was great. It was a great. That was a fantastic match. That was yeah. and, and that match storylines too about you know, UCF's winning streak and. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. All right. Well, you're just going to have to deal with whatever situation we put up there. So, <laughs> Eric will start it out. <laughs> Find out who do I agree with. Which right. Is, is these get released in the coming days. See, well, I, Je- I, Jeff, do you disagree with me that the two game is one? What, what was your, what's your number one? What's your, what's your number one? I, man, if, see, this is the problem. If that follow-up goes in, there's no doubt Gosh. that it's number one, right? I mean, it's because... It's just so hard for me to say, yeah, it's number one because of the, just the like I'm still I'm still astounded at how we at, at how that how that shot didn't go in both of them, um, but <laughs> uh, 
Say it, Jeffrey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, all right, it's it's the leader in the clubhouse. It's the leader in the clubhouse. I got I got to go with it. So, all right. Well, I don't know if you guys have a nomination. By the way, let us know because I want to know if you guys have a different nomination for all this. Um, we've got a lot to you know. We have a lot to go over. So. Um, it's been, uh, I tell you, it's been quite the, um, it's been quite the experience going through this and reliving some of these. I, I forgot all about the Temple football game and the, um, and the Cincinnati football, especially the Temple game, which man, that was a nail biter. I mean, that was uh, looking back on it. That was really something that game. So I I really enjoyed that game quite a bit. Um, and, uh, and some of the other ones too. So, all right. So we'll have to, we'll finish it up this week with Eric's top 10. Uh, or actually next week with Eric's Top 10 as we get ready for uh, women's soccer to start up uh, just the week after. All right, let's finish thing up this thing up, boys. We've got, uh, well, Eric, we know you're working on the final Top 10 games of the year. Uh, Brian, what are you going to be wearing? we got got uh, Media Day coming up, don't we? We've got Media Day coming up in five days. Or one, three, four. Yeah, five days, Jeffrey. Okay, count. Yeah. Um, yeah, Media Day on the 30th. Uh, so we'll have uh, Coach Heifel and 15 players hold a bunch of one-on-ones uh, on Tuesday, and then the next day, Wednesday, 31st, is the first practice of training camp. Oh. We, are, we are, you know, that's the, the training it's camp here. opens, and then from there, yeah, from there, you know how it goes. <laughs> uh, we're, we'll be less than a month away from the game you, against Florida A&M. I know. So, yeah, yeah, I'll be there on Tuesday, I'll be there on Wednesday, I'll be there throughout August as they have uh, post-practice availabilities. Uh, don't ask about the quarterbacks. Yada yada yada. <laughs> don't ask. Him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that one in the uh, in the ask the banner. I'm going. Who's going to be the quarterback, Brian Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, all right, and I've got a few more things from football season last year that I want to wrap up. Some statistical analyses. I finally finished up that recruiting table, so I'm going to work. Got, I got some stuff set up on that, so that should be um, a lot of fun uh, as well. Don't forget, follow us at Black and Gold Banneret. For all the latest, follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and also Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, and Eric Lopez Elo. So that'll do it for us uh, for this week. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, and we will catch you next week with Fallout from UCF Football Media Day. <laughs> We'll be there. We'll be. Fall. We'll be there. And my we'll and, and by there. the way, my goal is to not ask a single football related question to any player. Good job. So I like how you're I, coming in from I, a different angle. Yeah, I'm com- I'm coming in hot with that. So all right, we'll see. You, well, hopefully, it was. And by the way, one last thing I wanted to uh, I wanted to pass along. Um, uh, I wanted to uh, thank uh, Kelly Cartner who um, told us that she'll be moving on from UCF athletics. Kelly. Um, did a lot of work as uh, in communications with several different sports, including um, softball. She's helping out. She did a lot of stuff with soccer um, and several other sports as well. And we want to thank Kelly for her um, outstanding help uh, throughout the time she was there. Um, and, uh, yeah, Kelly, we're going to miss you. Thank you so much. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. <laughs>